in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Lord, Father, we thank you for this scripture, this promise that our Savior Jesus made that when he would depart from this world, Lord, that he would send another like him, a helper, one just like him, Lord, that he would send you, that God would be poured into us, Lord, and that you, God, you, the Holy Spirit, would be our helper, our guide, our teacher, our convictor, and that you would lead us every step of the way, Lord, that there's no need for us to live by ourselves on our own. We don't need to struggle and grind it out on our own effort, Lord, but you have poured yourself, your spirit into us to help us in this world, Lord. What a blessing that is. May we come to live in dependence of your spirit each and every day. And Lord, right now I pray for this time as we just continue to ponder these great truths that you've revealed to us in your word, Lord, that we would be convicted and that we would learn, that we would grow, that our hearts would be softened. I pray for our hearts to be soft, fertile ground, for the seed of your word and truth, for the gospel to be uh, to take deep root within us, Lord, and that we would grow and that we would produce fruit in this world and that we would honor you and glorify you all the days of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so good morning. It's a good day here to, to be at Anthem Church. Today we're continuing in a sermon series that we began last week. And what we're doing in this series is that we're, we're discussing the topic of the Holy Spirit which the Holy Spirit, in, to my best estimation, is a, a topic that doesn't really get taught very well, doesn't really get preached too often on Sunday mornings. It's in, in, if it does, it's kind of loose and vague, and it's just kind of sort of mentioned and, and whatnot. So we're, we're doing this series, and our hope for this series is that we will begin to live a life in dependence of the Holy Spirit. Um, all too often, we live a life that is independent of God or from God. We live a life of independence apart from God, and the result is that we live with a lot of fear and that we live with a lot of worry, and, and we have this sense of spiritual ambiguity about our lives. We meander through life, and we feel distant from God. I don't know if that feels familiar to any of you. I don't feel close to God. I, I don't feel like a Christian. We start to wonder if he's around like, where are you, God? Where, where, do you even care about me? We start to question our faith. Like, am I even a Christian? And, and we do this, and, and often I do believe that we have these wrestling matches in our heart because we are actually living independently. We're living apart from God as opposed to living in dependence of God. We're, we're too busy doing what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it, with whom we want to do it, relying on our own strength, trusting ourselves, kind of just basing everything on our own ingenuity and resourcefulness and cleverness. Like if I muscle my way through it, but it's in that living independently that we lack a level of assurance. 
that we lack this assurance that I think we all desperately want. And so that's the question that we are tackling today. How can we live with assurance? How can I know that God loves me? How can I know that God is with me? How can I know that, that I belong to God? How can I be assured that I am forgiven of my sin? How can I be assured that when my days on this planet come to an end, my days in heaven have just begun? How can I be certain and assured of that? And so that's what we're, we're tackling this morning. And what I want us to see is that when we live a life in dependence of the Holy Spirit, we will begin more and more to enjoy that which I do think that we desperately want and need, and that is this assurance that I belong to God and that he does, in fact, love me. I think at the end of the day that we really profoundly, that's what we deeply desire and what we, we need. We want the spiritual and eternal assurance knowing that God loves me and that I belong to him. And so uh, in what will be a ridiculous review of last Sunday, because last Sunday we discussed the Trinity, which is crazy to think that we could discuss the Trinity in one message. Well, here's a summary of it. All right, so to summarize last week, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift we could ever hope to receive, the ultimate of gifts, because it is the giving of God himself to us. The gift of the Holy Spirit is God giving himself to us, and the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is he. He is a member of the Godhead. He is a member of the Holy Trinity. So here's how this goes. God is one. There is only one. There's only one God, period. But somehow, in a mystery too profound for us to grasp, that one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person of the Godhead is fully God. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they all share the same essence, the same substance, the same nature, the same will. They, they, they are all fully God in every way. They possess all the attributes of God, yet they are distinct from one another. So the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct from one another. So there's three, but there's only one God. That's as clear as we can make it. That is as simple as that one's going to get, all right? So there you go. And if you want more on that, you can listen to last week's message or, or talk to Brent. He understands this really completely and fully, and he's, he knows all things Trinity. So he would appreciate those, those questions after service uh, to understand that completely. But anyway, moving on. We, we also discussed last week that in the Old Testament, God repeatedly promised that this day would come when he would pour his spirit out into his people. This, the, he promised over and over again that he would come and dwell within his people. The great promise of the Old Testament isn't God with us so much as God in us. God in us. That's the great promise of the Old Testament. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor, know, nor knows him. You know him 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then beginning in Acts chapter 2, after the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to heaven, in Acts chapter 2, God made true on his promise, and so he poured out his spirit into God's people. So ever since that day of Pentecost in in Acts chapter 2, God has poured out the Holy Spirit into all who place their faith in Jesus. And that's why Paul asked a question in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not know this? Because this is what's true of a believer, God in us. Most Christians, when they think of God and think of God with us, really think more along the lines of God beside us, beside me. Like I'm walking through life and God is beside me, right? That's typically how we sort of think of it. And there's a degree and a level to which that is true. But what is even more profound and just as true and and even like deeper and richer in a sense is that God isn't simply with us as in beside us. God is with us as in in us. He dwells within us. His presence is alive and active within the heart of a follower of Jesus. So that's the great blessing that we enjoy now that we live in New Testament days. We enjoy the presence and the power of God in us. So there's no need to struggle a life of independence. There's no need to try to muscle our way through our faith. There's no need to try to muscle our way through life. We can live in dependence of God who resides within us. And that's hope. I mean, there's, there's, there's truth for the heart right there. That we don't have to do this on our own. We can live in reliance of the Holy Spirit. The great tragedy, the great sin, I believe, of our day is that Christians are living in neglect of the Holy Spirit. So theologian Wayne Grudem says this, The Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. So among the members of the Godhead in this day and age, in the New Covenant, the New Testament days, the primary manifestation of the Trinity, of God himself today, is through the Holy Spirit. But I get a sense that most Christians are living in complete neglect of the Holy Spirit spirit in their lives we live a life of independence we're choosing what we want to choose doing what we want to do our strength our resources rather than rely on God's strength and relying on God's wisdom and on his grace uh, in Acts chapter in Acts 17 there's a story where the apostle Paul he makes his way to Athens Greece and upon entering the city he notices that there's an altar with an inscription on it and the inscription says to an unknown God. And the sin of the Greeks was false worship, right? It was idolatry. They were polytheists. They, they worshiped many gods, many gods, all a bunch of false gods, and, and to hedge their bets, right? Just in case we happen to miss one of the one, these false gods, just in case we want to be safe, let's make this altar and call it the unknown God so that if there's a God out there that we don't know, we want to be, you know, we want to know that we're worshiping him and he's not mad at, or her. 
right? Because that's, that's how Greek mythology works. And so they, they, they worship this unknown God. And today, Christians, we are not guilty of worshiping an unknown God. What we're guilty of is neglecting a God who's made himself known to us. That that's our stumbling right there. That we neglect this primary manifestation of God's presence. We live in neglect of the Holy Spirit. And no wonder we live with fear. And no wonder we live with doubt. And no wonder we, we live with a false sense of security or with no sense of assurance. No wonder we doubt, does God really love me? No wonder we don't feel close or connected to God. No wonder we feel so much guilt and shame over our sin, whatever that sin may be. No wonder we oftentimes have few panic attacks here or there. Am I really going to heaven? And the reason we feel that way is because, again, the Holy Spirit is the primary means or primary manifestation by which God makes his presence known to us. And it is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict us of God's love. But if we are neglecting his ministry in our lives, no wonder we feel no sense of assurance. How much of a difference does it make to know something for sure? How much difference does it make in your daily life to have full assurance over something? How would you like to go into a job interview absolutely knowing that when you came out of the interview, you would have the job? Is that better than the alternative? All right, what would you prefer? To go to a doctor's appointment absolutely knowing that you are going to get a clean bill of health, or would you rather go into that doctor's visit with a 50-50 chance of cancer? Which would you prefer? The assurance. We prefer that. So in high school, a girl walks up to me and says, if you ask out, so-and-so, they'll say yes. Well, it was the girl's best friend. So I had inside information. Man, that was an easy phone call. You know, I pull out old school rotary dial. <laughs> rotary dial. Oops, I messed up. Got to start over again. Call up. What's up, girl? Me, you. Friday night, Applebee's. Hunt for Red October. Like, it was like the easiest phone call, right? Because it's like I was assured I was assured, I knew what the outcome would be. So that's an easy phone call. Assurance makes all the difference in the world. It, assurance it's, means knowing something with certainty. It means knowing that something is guaranteed. Assurance is the confidence that comes from conviction. It's the confidence that comes out of conviction. It arises out of just really knowing something. And when you really know something and that something is true and that true thing is guaranteed, you walk differently, you talk differently, you act differently, you think differently. There's a swag to your step. There's a swag to your step when you walk in assurance. And this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring assurance to bear upon the life of a follower of Jesus. He impresses upon us the truth that God loves us and that we belong to him. He impresses the truth upon us to such a degree that we know that we're forgiven, 
that we know that he's with us, that we know that he is at work in our hearts, and that we know that when my eyes fade in this life, they will open up in heaven. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, or one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. So we need not live in fear or worry. We need not settle for doubting our faith, which in all honesty, most, if not all, Christians struggle with from time to time for different reasons. We can know, we can live with spiritual and eternal assurance, but for that to take place, we must live in dependence of the Holy Spirit, for assurance comes from the Holy Spirit. There can be no assurance apart from him, from his ministry in our lives. And, and so the Holy Spirit assures us that we are loved by God and that we belong to God. And he does this by convicting us of two truths. One, that we have been sealed and two, that we have been adopted. The Holy Spirit assures us that we are loved by God and that we belong to him. And he does so by convicting us of two truths, that we have been sealed and that we have been adopted. And those are the two points that I just want to spend the rest of our time covering. So let's begin with that first one. What does it mean to be convicted that we have been sealed? Sealed. What is that? What is that all about? Well, the moment that a follower of Christ places their faith in Christ, so the moment of conversion, the moment that we're born again, the, the moment that we're forgiven and saved, the moment that we come to first belief in Christ and who he is, he's the son of God, and his atoning death, what he, the substitutionary death on the cross, his atoning death, his resurrection from the grave, that moment of first belief, what happens is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the moment that he comes and takes residence within us, right? That he, he comes to indwell the believer. That he comes to be in the believer. He seals us. It, it's almost as if in that moment, what the Holy Spirit does is that he puts us in God's Ziploc bag, right? And he seals the spiritual freshness so that the spiritual freshness can never go away, right? That it could, it could t- always taste good to God, right? So that's us. We're in God's Ziploc bag. And so from Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 13 and 14, it says, In him, so in Christ, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So when you heard the gospel, when you heard it, and believed in him. So you didn't just hear it, you also have to believe it. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So uh, I got a couple of ways of explaining or defining, describing what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Think old school, old days when there were like kings. And uh, kings had their royal ring their kingly ring, right? And, and if they wrote a letter, they would seal a letter, or if they had, there was a document, they would seal the document, or, or it could have been a, a chest full of stuff, and they would take wax, and they'd put wax on those things, and he would take his ring, and he'd make an impression on the wax, and when the wax dried, that was the king's seal, right? And so what that meant was that whatever that was belonged 
to the king or was for the king or was from the king, right? It, it, the, the seal, the kingly seal was an impression that was made that showed who or what that thing belonged to. Make sense? All right, and here's another way of thinking about it. Being sealed means to be branded, to be branded. The Holy Spirit is God branding us to himself. So Psalm 23 verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, how do shepherds show that sheep belong to them? They brand them. They put their mark on that speci- on those specific sheep, on that livestock, right? On that flock. They put a brand on them, and the brand shows ownership. Who owns those sheep? Who owns that flock? And that is what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit is God branding us, he, and he seals us. So the Holy Spirit shows who we belong to, guarantees that God is our owner, right, in essence, that we, in fact, do belong to him. He guarantees ownership over us. The Holy Spirit seals our fate. He guarantees and ensures that we have been forgiven. He guarantees our eternal destiny in heaven in God's presence because he has branded us, he has sealed us, and so he ensures that we'll spend forever in God's presence. And it's because of that, because the Holy Spirit seals us for eternity that we can now enjoy, that we can enjoy assurance now. It's because eternity has already been fixed that we can have assurance here and now. In other words, we can be hope-filled, right? We, we are, our mission statement, uh, why does Anthem Church exist? We're here to fill Andrew in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. This is hope-filled. This is the hope-filled part. What does it mean to be hope-filled? It means that because the Holy Spirit has sealed me forever, I can live with hope now. I can live with assurance today, tomorrow, and all of eternity because of the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And that's his ministry. His ministry, his role in my heart is to convict me of that reality, to convict me that I do belong to God. To Let, let me just define what convict means because I think sometimes in church, in church life, in Christian life, we throw words around and we kind of sort of know what they mean and So let's just make sure we all understand what it means to be convicted of something. To be convicted means to be convinced. It just means to be convinced of something. It is a thought or a truth or a principle that is so impressed upon you that it becomes your fixed belief. That that whatever that is becomes fixed firm in your thinking, in your knowing, right? It, it's becoming so certain about something that you give yourself over to it. So I, I always define faith not simply as belief, because faith isn't simply believing in Jesus. No, true faith is believing in Jesus so much that you give your life to Jesus. So that's true belief, and so that's what I'm talking about, conviction. Conviction isn't, a, yeah, that's true. No, conviction, that's so true that I give myself over to it. I, I give myself underneath it. Right? I stand upon that which I believe is my conviction. To be convicted of something means that that something becomes your operating system. It becomes your worldview. It becomes your driving principle for what you do, how you do it, why you do it, when you do it, etc. 
It becomes your driving principle. And here's the reality. As we live more and more independence of the Holy Spirit, the more and more he convinces me that I have been sealed in God and for God. The more and more I live independence, the more and more he assures me of that reality, of that truth. I'm convinced more with each passing day and week and month and year, more and more, so that I can then live with more and more assurance. Many Christians get all tripped up because they lack full assurance all of the time. And I've talked to enough of you, enough Christians over time, that there, there are many times where we, we get really hung up. It's like, I don't feel like completely 100% assurance all of the time. And, and this can really mess with us. I, I hear people say something like, you know, if I were truly a Christian, shouldn't I live with a bounding, unending, an an ceaseless confidence and certainty that I am saved? Like, if I'm really a believer, like, shouldn't that be true of me all the time, like, to the max? And let me answer that question. Yes and no. Let me answer the easy part. There's a sense in which that the answer is yes, and it's because of this. God has said that he loves us. He has declared his love for you and for me. He has declared it. He has spoken it loudly and clearly. And let me tell you, if there is a God who can speak a universe into existence, and that God says, I love you, we sure enough can take him at his word, right? So if he has said it and declared it, that is more than enough to live with assurance of the love of God. Okay, well, let's go even further because God goes even further. He doesn't simply declare his love. He displayed it, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So Jesus comes down out of love from God toward us in love toward us. He goes to a cross and there the father in love toward us crushes the son on the cross and he pays the price for our sin. He bore that burden and justice on our behalf on the cross. Well, man, the gospel displays, the cross displays the love that God has for us. So he has spoken it loud and clear. He has sure enough shown it loud and clear. And so by those two, by those two truths, there is more than enough for us to live in full assurance that God loves you. What more could you ask for? I mean, we can have abounding, unending, ceaseless assurance that we belong to God and that he loves us. That we have been sealed simply because he has said it and he has proven it. That's the easy part. That's the yes part. Now, let, let, let's get to the more difficult part of it. If I am truly a Christian, shouldn't I have this unending, bound, boundless assurance all of the time? How come I struggle with that? And I'm going to try to be a little careful here. I, I'm going to say this. Just If I confuse you in what I'm about to say, please ask me after service or send me an email or call me. I, I, my, my goal is not to confuse, but I, I do want to bring as much as possible a level of clarity on what I perceive to be an issue that many Christians struggle with and oftentimes are too afraid to say it. Okay? Why is it that we struggle so much 
if God has said this and done this, why don't I believe it so much that it, it wraps me up like a warm blanket all the time and I feel warm and fuzzy about it? Here's why. Spiritual and eternal assurance requires time. It requires time. It is a process. It is a byproduct of growing in our faith and maturing spiritually. We may be saved, so we may be forgiven. Our faith may be in Christ. We may have been converted, but there is still sin very much active and alive in us. And it is that sin that gets in the way of us experiencing full assurance all of the time. It is my wrong behavior, my wrong thoughts, my wrong thinking, my wrong speaking, my, all my sin is works in opposition to living in full assurance. Depending on myself, relying on myself, neglecting the Holy Spirit, works in contradiction of assurance. Saying that I can grind it out, that I can do it, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, and gosh darn it, people like me, right? Like, defaulting to a life of independence works in opposition and contradiction to ever experiencing any level of assurance. So, sin... It's what gets in the way. That is why we have these days or weeks or months or longer where we wonder, God, where are you? Do you love me? Are you close? Am I going to heaven? It's because sin gets in the way. And and the truth is that we don't simply flip a switch one day and all of a sudden our sin is gone. I wish that were the case, but it's just not the case. Sin keeps abounding, and that's what gets in the way. And this is what, what, and it takes time to get rid of the sin. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It's what Scripture refers to as the process of sanctification, of shedding sin from our lives and becoming more like Christ in character. And it begins the moment of initial faith, and it continues all up until the day that we are with Jesus face to face. And it is degree by degree, and that's what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So we're growing, being, tra- uh, uh, being sanctified, transformed into the same image, so into Christ's likeness, from one degree of glory to another from one degree to another degree from one step to another it is a progress it is progressive sanctification so i'm concerned and i've been concerned for a lot of believers for a long time because they they live under this undue stress and pressure questioning whether they're an actual believer because they have levels in which they lack full total assurance to the maximum and what I would say is like, well, do you have any sin in your life? And of course, they're going to say yes. Oh, well, that's why, fool. Right? And, and I'm not saying that you're giving yourself over to some habitual terrible sin. It's just sin is always active, right? Pride. And I'm just talking about like normal, like, and none of it's justifiable. I'm just talking about like typical normal stuff that we all deal with every day, right? All, the, all of that is what gets in the way, let alone next level habitual addictions, you know, et cetera, right? All of that gets in the way, and it, it's a process of becoming more like Christ. In, in, in this side of heaven, we will struggle. We will struggle with that. John the Baptist, John the Baptist, prophet, 
the last prophet of the old covenant, cousin of Jesus, grew up with Jesus. They played football, soccer, right? They, they, whatever they played in Israel, they, I'm sure they goat heads. It's probably what they kicked around, right? He grew up with Jesus, knew Jesus. He's the, he's the forerunner. So he was prophesied about in the Old Testament. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And even John the Baptist doubted. Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Well, if John the Baptist can have a moment of doubt, surely we can. Not that it's justifiable, but it's just a reality of the human condition that this side of heaven, until we attain full maturity in Christ, once we're with him face to face, we will have sin and we will have doubt and we will have fear and we will question certain things. We will have moments where we lack a level of assurance because of that. So what, what is it that we need to do? We need to humbly rely on the Holy Spirit to convince us that we are sealed. To convict us, to rely on the Spirit to convict us that we are loved by God, that we belong to God. And that work of the Holy Spirit convicting that reality in us is in conjunction with him shedding me of my sin. They work hand in hand. They go together. They're on parallel tracks with one another. They're representative and reflective of one, of one another. I mean, we could say that we become more assured of our salvation as we grow in our sanctification. We grow more assured of our salvation as we grow in our sanctification. What I need to do is rely on the Spirit. His role is to convict me. His role, his ministry, his task, his job is to convince me, persuade me, impress upon me the truth. My role is to just depend on him, rely on him. And so the question is, what does that look like? And it begins with prayer. It is praying humbly, daily, asking God, Holy Spirit, please convict me deeply, deeply that you love me and that, that I belong to you. Please make that truth. If it is true, Lord, make it true to me within my spirit. So you pray, and then every day you confess and you repent because we have this sin every day, right? So daily, you just bring your sin before God. Lord, I did this, I did this, I shouldn't have done this, I should have done that. And you repent, so you turn away from it. You turn away from the things that keep you from having assurance. Right? So you, you daily confess, you repent, and then lastly, you receive. So you pray, number one. Number two, you confess and repent. Number three, you receive. You receive. Daily receive the grace that you need to avoid the temptation. Daily receive the grace of conviction that God loves you, that he is for you, that he is with you, that he is in you, that you belong to him. Folks, that's what living in dependence of the Holy Spirit looks like practically in everyday life, praying humbly, confessing, repenting, receiving the grace of God, receiving the wisdom of God, receiving conviction from God. And as you live out that life degree by degree and, and, and sin gets shed more and more from you, from you, you will grow in assurance that you have been sealed by God for God, that he loves you and that you belong to him forever. 
That's what it means to be convicted that we are sealed. Number two, what does it mean that we've been adopted? You know, the Holy Spirit assures us of God's love, that we belong to him. He does it by convincing us of two truths. Number one, that we've been sealed. Number two, that we've been adopted. So Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness. I have been stuck on that phrase for months. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit bears witness? The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. With our spirit. He bears witness with our spirit of what reality that we've been adopted by the God of the universe. And this is what it means. Bearing witness with our spirit is not a subjective experience. Okay? Bearing witness with our spirit is not a subjective experience. It is the impartation of truth. It is the imparting of objective truth within the spirit of a believer. What, what the bearing witness is, is the Holy Spirit coming inside and convincing us deeply of the reality that we have been adopted by God. He, he testifies to our spirit and impresses upon us the reality of our, that we've been forgiven, that our citizenship is in heaven, right? He makes it so clear, makes it so clear that it becomes as a matter of fact, to us. He stamps the truth into us to such a degree that it becomes part of us. It becomes ingrained. It becomes assimilated. Our new operating system. It becomes instinctive. He bears witness. He testifies. He speaks, declares, and impresses that truth deeply within me to where it is just, as a matter of fact, it is what it is. Are you a child of God? It is what it is. I know this to be true. That is the bearing witness of the Holy Spirit within us. I I hear Christians say this a lot of times. I don't feel saved. I don't feel close to God. I I don't feel God's love. And, and this is why I specifically just a little while ago mentioned that the, the bearing witness of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is not a subjective experience, right? It's not, a, it's not strictly an emotional, experiential, mystical thing. It is the imparting of something that is real and objective, right? But I hear a lot of Christians, I don't feel this. I don't feel saved. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel, I don't feel. And I understand that because I use the same terminology. I I use the same phrasing. I ask the same questions. I say the same thing. So I I get it. I get it. But it's not feelings that are meant to be determinant as to whether God loves me and whether I belong to him. Feelings at best, at best are just fleeting and fickle, right? At worst, they are highly deceptive and misleading. At best, Jeremiah 
17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So our emotions lie to us all the time. The classic example that I always use is this. If you watch a horror movie, when the horror movie's over, you're going to be scared. You know there's no such thing as monsters, and you know that there's not a monster under your bed. But I, you might be a 40-year-old, and you're going to go to bed, and the lights are going to be on because you're scared, because your emotions are lying to you, and you can't differentiate between an emotion that's based on truth or an emotion that's based on a lie. So it is dangerous to trust or to think that we can trust our emotions to determine whether or not God loves me. Not only is it dangerous, it is flat-out unbiblical. The Bible never tells us what being saved feels like. Never. It never describes what it feels like. And it never offers to us, never tells us or instruction, instructs us that emotions are the litmus test by whether I know how close to God I really am. It never says that. Ever. In all the scripture. Jamie loves me. This I know. For my wife, he tells me so. <laughs> Jamie loves me. It is objective truth. It's true, okay? Regardless of how I may feel about it at any certain time. She loves me, and sometimes I ignore her. I ignore her love. Sometimes I dismiss it. Sometimes I neglect it. Sometimes I take advantage of it. Sometimes I reciprocate it. Sometimes I feel warm and fuzzy as a result of it. Sometimes it's just a matter of fact. Regardless of how I may feel about it at any time, it does not change the reality that Jamie loves me. It cannot be based on my subjective interpretation of my emotions and feelings at the time. It has to be based on what happens to be true. She loves me. It's the same way when it comes to assurance. Spiritual and eternal assurance are not based on feelings. They're, uh, they're based on objective truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what the Holy Spirit does is that he takes God's truth, he takes the gospel, and then he sears it into me to such a degree that it becomes what it is. Like, I, I don't, I, I, it, I can't not believe it. Like, I know it to be true. He sears it into my subconscious, into, into my conscious. And in the moment, I may not even be aware that he's doing it. And it may not necessarily feel like any one thing or another. Let me give you an example. In Scripture, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is, at times, in the life of a believer, going to bring a certain Scripture to remembrance, right? That we're going to remember a truth from the Bible if we're sharing a testimony with someone or if we're teaching a Bible lesson. I don't, have you ever done this? And in the moment, a scripture comes to mind, and you share that scripture, and maybe it was a believer, and that's the scripture they needed to be comforted, or maybe it was a scripture that God used to, to lead a non-believer to Christ, or whatever the case may be. Did that feel like anything? No. It was just truth. And it was real. And it was right. And it was just burned so into you that it was instinctive. It was a matter of fact. It is what it is. So there are moments where it may possibly convey an emotion, and it may outpour in that way. 
But in the moment, it doesn't necessarily have to be a subjective, warm and fuzzy mountaintop experience. What matters most is that objectivity that I stand on truth. And my emotions are flaky, but truth is not. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes truth and he brings to me a certainty in that truth, in that reality, in the gospel. He bears witness with my spirit in such a way that I cannot help but be fully convinced that I am adopted by God. And it takes time and it goes over time. Now, for the, for the spirit to accomplish this in the life of a believer... There is one thing that's absolutely necessary, and that is that we must feed upon the truth of God. So we have to spend time reading the Bible and studying the Bible and meditating Scripture. And as we feed on the truth and this truth comes into our, our hearts and our minds, the Holy Spirit takes that, and then that's what he uses to ink our hearts with it. He tattoos our hearts with it, right? It says that Scripture is written upon the hearts of the believer, this is what the Holy Spirit does. We, we drink it, we eat it, we digest it, we consume it, and the Holy Spirit then just tattoos it into our soul. And so could it be that the reason why so many Christians are devoid of full assurance is because they're not spending sufficient time reading the Word of God, which is truth. In essence, we're starving the Spirit out. And there's no way we could ever have any assurance apart from the objective truth of God. And when we don't have the objective truth of God, we cannot help but default to subjectivity. So then I have no choice but to say, well, how do I feel about it? And our feelings lie to us and mislead us. And they're untrust untrustworthy. They're fickle. And just as a closing thought on that, I'm not saying that all emotions are wrong or bad. We are emotional beings. God made us that way, okay? What, what I'm really getting at is that our emotions have to first be sanctified. Our emotions must first be sanctified. So what the Holy Spirit does is we're living in reliance upon him. He takes the truth. He places it in us. And then he uses that truth to begin to shepherd our emotions so that Fear and worry begin to subside so that joy and peace and gladness begin to rise up. But those emotions are a consequence of the truth. Does that make sense? That those emotions actually follow from assurance. They don't prove assurance. They follow from it. So you absorb the truth. You, you drink God's word. The Holy Spirit places it within you, brings conviction, you become assured of the truth, and when you are assured that God loves you and that you belong to him, that then flows out into a host of sanctified emotions. Joy, gladness, peace, love, all of that. But that's at the end. Our mess up is that usually we put that at the beginning and don't give time for the Holy Spirit to sanctify us in that. So if you're living, if you're living with a lack of certainty, just ask yourself, are you spending enough time in God's word? Are you putting enough truth inside of you? Are, are you giving the Holy Spirit the tools that the Holy Spirit needs to bring conviction to bear upon you? Right? It says that he bears witness. What does a witness does? Tell the truth. 
right? Confirm the truth. Well, you have to take the truth, and then he confirms it. But without the truth, there's nothing there to confirm. So give the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit desires, and that is the truth of God's word. And if you do, if you do that, that's what it means to depend on the Holy Spirit, rely on the Holy Spirit, and you're allowing him to do this work of assurance in you. So there in Romans 8, Romans 8 is an amazing chapter of the Bible, and it tells us that if our faith is in Christ, God is our Father, right? Our Abba, Father. Like if, if we believe in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, we were adopted, adopted by God. Like, man, like it's not just that we're forgiven from sin. Like he calls us his own children. Like what an amazing idea, right? That we are sons and daughters of, of the Most High. A few years ago, I looked up the, the name Gutierrez. Gutierrez you want to say it accurately. And I found out that the name means, it's an ancient name that means son of he who rules. Son of he who rules. That's just, that's just as appropriate as it gets. Because I know Hector rules, right? He rules to some degree, right? But at the end of the day, I am the son of he who rules galaxies. I am a child. My father is the one who controls atoms in a universe, and he's Lord of heaven and earth. That is my father. I've been adopted into his family, and as a result, I will be a co-heir with his son in glory forever. I will enjoy the riches of God's glory forever and ever by grace through faith and the sacrifice of his son. And I know this to be true. Because the Holy Spirit has convicted me, has convinced me of that reality. And that could be true of each and every one of us. And we can grow each and every day living in more and more assurance that God is our Abba Father. We can each day grow more and more with the conviction that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We can grow each and every day more and more with the certainty that we've been sealed by God and for God. We can grow with this confidence that we have been adopted into the holy, divine family of the King of Kings. And the way that we do that, it begins first by embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ and just coming to terms with the reality and the truth of the matter that you're a sinner. That you sin and that it requires a holy justice from a, a holy, wrathful, all-powerful God. And you confess that to the Lord and you repent of it. And then you embrace the Savior who died that you may be spared from that punishment. You believe in who Jesus is, that he came up out of the grave. Walked up out of death, conqueror, victor, champion. You give your life over to Jesus. And in that moment, that's the, that's the moment of first conviction. First assurance. And then what do you do after that? Then you begin to live a life of dependence upon the Holy Spirit, humbly praying, Holy Spirit, convict me more today. Convince me more today. Impress upon me the truth more today. Embrace the journey that you're on, this lifelong journey that you're on. 
that you're not going to get there right now. But a little bit more today, a little bit further by next week, more by next year, right? Shed sin along the way. Drink truth along the way. Be sanctified along the way that you may grow in assurance. Stop relying on your feelings. Let the feelings overflow out of truth and not the other way around. Depend on the Holy Spirit. He's given to you. He's poured into the life of a believer to help you each and every day. Will you live a life of dependence upon the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Lord Father, I thank you so much for your truth, for your word. Thank you for this assurance that you make possible to us that we can know that you love us and that we belong to you, Lord. And Lord, we confess that we struggle with assurance, that there are moments where we lack faith, where we feel certain things in contradiction to the truth, Lord, and I ask for your help with those things. I pray, Lord, that you would bring this this certainty, this confidence to bear upon us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would impress upon our souls the truth, and that is that you do, in fact, love us, and that you've made a way for us to be close to you and to know you. Lord, and I pray now that if there's anyone in this room who has never placed their faith in Jesus, Lord, I ask that they would do so now. That they would make that decision now to stop struggling on their own apart from you and just come to you with open arms. I pray that if, if there are any believers in the room that, that wrestle with this, with assurance, Lord, I pray that you would help them now. You're, you're our great helper, Lord, that you would impress upon them the reality of their faith. That you're not done with them, that, it's, that you haven't kicked them to the curb, Lord, but that you love them still. Lord, forgive us if we live apart from you and just rely on ourselves and neglect this gift that you have given, this gift of yourself. How amazing it is, Lord, that you offer your presence and your power to lead us, to guide us. May we not neglect you in our lives anymore. Lord, I pray that you bear witness with us right now, wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever our circumstances are. Holy Spirit, bear witness with our spirit now. Bear witness that we've been adopted by God and that if we haven't, Lord, that we can be right now. You're God with us, our Emmanuel. Not just God with us, but God in us. We thank you for that.
In Jesus' name, amen.